The following audio is from Hope Hill Church. To learn more about Hope Hill Church, please visit hopehillchurch.org. Let me pray for us, and we'll get into our message for this morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for being a God who, who truly loves us, for being a God who invites us into the process of sharing your love with this world. And as you've called us, Jesus, you yourself said the two greatest commandments were to love you with all that we have, all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. But we are also called to love our neighbor as ourselves. So, Lord Jesus, I pray that as we look into your word, that those truths would be emphasized and that your Holy Spirit would speak to us personally the things you want us to hear from today's passage. Inspire us, transform us so that we can be used as we glorify you and see this world impacted by your love. Be with us now, in your name we pray, amen. Uh, is there anything I forgot to say during announcement time? Okay, in John chapter 12, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. If you have your scripture journal, uh, it's on page 74 is where I'm starting today. We're going to start at verse 12. All right. Thank you for keeping me straight. Um, okay, so if you, uh, by the way, scripture journals are really awesome. Basically, it's a journal for every book of the Bible. Every other page is completely blank. You've got scriptures on one side. If you've never seen these before, you can find them on Amazon, or you can just Google scripture journal, and they'll typically come up. And uh, it's really cool. They have it for literally every book of the Bible. And it's great for taking notes and uh, all that kind of stuff. So. Uh, if you have it, page 74, because we're starting in verse 12 today. And let me just give you some background for where we've been. For those of you who haven't been with us, for the last year, we've been journeying page by page through the book of John, getting an in-depth, intimate glimpse of the life of Christ as seen through one of his closest friends, a guy named John, the disciple, who wrote the book. And what I want you to see today is that we have spent the first three years of Jesus' life in the first 11 chapters of the book of John. There's 21 chapters, and so we've got chapter 12 through 21 that's going to cover basically his last week. So the first 11 chapters, we kind of had a global uh, big picture view, and now we're diving into the intimate last week of Jesus' life. It's very fitting because we're entering that season of Lent in the liturgical church calendar, a season of preparation and time for the celebration of Resurrection Sunday, which happens on Easter. And so as we go through the next couple weeks together, diving into these chapters, my hope is that your heart sees Jesus' last week in a new light. Uh, No pun intended, he is the light of the world. And I pray that as you hear these verses, that you are transformed by them. And that we don't just become simply hearers of the word, but as James says, doers of the word as well. And so there are some challenging things for us to see today and some steps for us to take as we are obedient to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. What's happened here is basically we're entering the Holy Week, as it's called, and many of us have heard of the day Palm Sunday. Many theologians think that the Palm Parade of Jesus riding 
on a colt, on a, on a donkey, uh, happened on Monday. Uh, but whether it was Monday or Sunday, it really doesn't matter. The purpose of why it happened is so crucial, and we're going to see that today. So, Jesus has done many signs in his final three years. The biggest sign just happened, and that was the story of Lazarus. If you remember, Lazarus was one of Jesus' closest friends, and his sisters, Mary and Martha, wrote Jesus and said, Lazarus is really sick. We need you to come. We're afraid he might die. And you know the story. He does die, and Jesus shows up, and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And this, even this tragic event has happened so that you will see the sign. And signs serve one main purpose. They point to something greater than themselves. No one truly makes a sign for the benefit of the sign. Signs help us know where we're going. They point us to something better. And Jesus' signs were pointing us to see who he truly was. And so the sign, the greatest sign, the news of it begins to spread. Crowds are murmuring, some in anticipation and excitement. The high Jewish festival called Passover is about to happen. Crowds are gathering in Jerusalem. People are talking. Do you think Jesus will show up? Did you hear that he rose somebody from the dead? I can't believe it. Well, man, Bethany is on our way to town. Why don't we stop by that house where Lazarus supposedly lived, and let's see if we can touch an ex-dead man. How many of you would want to make that stop? No, none of you? Come on, be real with me. Um, And so the crowds are talking. The Pharisees, the religious elite of the day, their tempers are getting short. Their, Their frustration is getting high. And they have decided that we no longer simply want to just quiet Jesus. We don't want to just arrest him. This man must die. Thinking it was their plan, you know whose plan Jesus' death truly was, and it may be hard to understand this, but Jesus came for one purpose, to die for us. We're going to see that in the scriptures today. God chose to use the people of the day to enact and to see his plan unfold. And so the Pharisees are conspiring. Uh, If you read even the end of chapter 11, Uh, Beginning of chapter 12, you see that the the Pharisees are like, man, the whole world is starting to believe in this man. We've got to shut him up, and we've got to erase any evidence of all the things he's done. If he truly did raise a man named Lazarus, we need to kill Lazarus too. I mean, now it's just getting totally government conspiracy type stuff. We've got to take him out. We've got to take out Lazarus. So you've got these crowds forming, crowds of people wanting to see Jesus and him do another sign, crowds of people upset about this man, Jesus, we've got to kill him. And then we've got people who are truly becoming believers. There was a parable that Jesus taught about the seed in the soil. He he said the kingdom of God is like a farmer planting seed. And as he's walking through the field, the seed is falling on different types of ground. You've got Hard ground where the seed stays on top and birds come and eat the seed. It never has a chance to take root. You've got uh, 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 fertile ground 
where the seed completely is, is in great condition and it falls, it begins to take root and produces forth even more seeds. You've got other ground where it starts to take root, but it's along a walking path and so it gets trampled and it gets choked out by the weeds and by the traffic. And so you've got these different kinds of seeds. The seed represents the gospel, the truth of who Jesus is. And some people we're going to see are like that seed that was by the walking path. They were, their hearts were pricked. They wanted to believe. But because of the pressures of the world, the problems of life, their concern with the glory of men rather than the glory of the Father, their belief does not transform them. It does not take root. There is a belief that does not lead to salvation. Scriptures tell us that even the demons believe and they never give up. It's one thing to see Jesus and know he must be the Savior and Lord. It's another thing to ask to be your Savior and Lord. Two different types of belief. We see that unfold today. So let's look at Romans chapter 12, um, verse 12 and following. The next day, the large crowd had come to the feast had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. The feast was that Passover festival. Everybody's coming into town, and they heard that Jesus might show up. So they took branches of palm trees, and they went out to meet him. And this is what would typically happen when uh, somebody, uh, a dignitary, uh, a royal official, uh, a king would ride into town. They would line the streets and parade uh, some of you. You may have heard that, um, the man, was it the Manleys that went down to the Super Bowl? I mean, the Disney after the Super Bowl win? They loved the Kansas City Chiefs so much that they were like, man, we're getting our palm leaves and we're driving to Disney. We want to line the streets and cheer on the Chiefs as they come into town. And they, they got down there in time for that parade. That's what these people are doing. They're so excited to see this man, Jesus, and... At the same time, in just a few days, this may be Monday, on Thursday, just a few days later, many who are holding up these palm branches and, and, and calling out, Hosanna, look at the words they said. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. These people were wanting to see their King come. The Jewish nation had been subdued and under rule of the Roman Empire. They didn't necessarily really want a Savior come to set them free from their way of living life, but they wanted to be freed of taxation, freed of Roman rule. That's the king they wanted. Somebody who would come and take care of me. I want a king for what he can do for me. And this is what the crowd wanted. They lined the streets. They waved the palm branches. Blessed is he who comes in the name of Israel. In just four days from now, many of them will be yelling, crucify him. For the same reason. Hosanna on Monday, crucify him. Just a few days later. The crowd. So this crowd gathered together. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. 
His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and what had been done to him. 700 plus years earlier, a prophet by the name of Isaiah, one of the biggest books of prophecy in the Old Testament, Isaiah prophesied many things about the coming of the Messiah who wouldn't come for another close to seven, 800 years. These things were written about Jesus, that he would enter into the, the city of Jerusalem on a donkey. His disciples didn't understand these things at first while they were happening, but after Jesus was glorified, after he had died on the cross and conquered sin and death and in victory rose again, they went back and they remembered. Their hearts were pierced, remembering all the things that had been written about him and the things that had been done to him. The crowd that had been there, verse 17, with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb, we're talking two different crowds. You've got the crowd gathering at the parade. You've got another crowd. There may have been some of the same people in both crowds, but the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb, you see, when a funeral happens in the Jewish culture, people swarm in. Everybody comes together, and the time of mourning isn't just a couple hours. Sometimes people would linger around for for days, if not a whole month, and and help that family get through that tragedy. So this huge crowd was present. Just a week to two before Jesus would ultimately give up his own life, he showed this crowd that he was the resurrection and the life, and he called forth Lazarus' name. Some theologians even say that it's very good that Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, because if he had simply said, come forth, his power would have raised all of the dead. And there were crowds there to see this happen. And those crowds are still talking about it. Among those who were there, verse 20, who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. I'm sorry, I skipped a verse and I didn't want to skip. Verse 17, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead had continued to bear Witness. If you have a Bible, I want you to underline that phrase. Continued to bear witness. Some of your versions might say continue to spread the word, continue to talk about these things. Here is our first application point. Are you a witness bearer? If you have seen and witnessed the things of God, if you have seen Jesus, transform your life. If you have seen Jesus answer prayers that you have prayed, we have a responsibility to share that as witnesses with our world. Romans 10, 14 and 15 tells us this is so important. This is not just for hired professional missionaries or pastors. These words are for each and every person who has been transformed by the beautiful spirit of God. Romans 10, 14 and 15 says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching to them? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Oh, well, 
John, you're the preacher. I'm not a preacher. Embrace the word preach. Just tell. Share your story. As we saw in John chapter 4, the woman at the well who had a very questionable lifestyle. Jesus came, as it says in John chapter 3, not to judge, but to save. And he saved that woman. He told her all her past. He transformed her and gave her life. He said, you come here to draw water. I will give you water from which you will thirst again. And she left that day transformed, and she went into town telling all, I met a man who told me everything I ever did, and still he loved me. He, she told the story. She was not a professional preacher. She was simply a loved one transformed by grace to the point of overflowing and touching those who lived around her. In the same way this crowd saw Lazarus, they saw the power of Jesus as the resurrection of life, they continued to bear witness. And because of their witness, other crowds were coming. More people wanted to see Jesus, hear of Jesus. Some for their own reasons, but some to be transformed from heaven and becoming children of God. We are to be those beautiful ones who share that good news. The crowd that had been with him, called when Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb, continued to bear witness. Are you continuing to bear witness? The reason why the first crowd went to meet Jesus is they had heard from the other crowd that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees, their frustration continued to grow. The Pharisees said to one another, you see that we, you and I, we're gaining nothing. This man is changing the world. The whole world is going after him. And while Jesus' primary mission when he was here physically on earth was to reach his own, the scriptures tell us he came to his own and his own received him not. His own rejected him. But to whoever believes in him, he gives the right to become children of God. And as the word began to spread, it wasn't just the Jews that were hearing of Jesus. Look at verse 20. Among those who were there who went up to worship at the feast, the Passover feast, some of them were Greeks, Gentiles, non-Jewish people. Some of them were hearing of this man, Jesus. And the scripture says that the world will know we are Christians by our love as we continue to bear witness, as we begin, continue to share our love with others. Those who are not yet of this flock will hear of his voice and their hearts will be transformed forever. Some of those who came were, were Greeks. And so they came to Philip, one of Jesus' disciples, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. And they asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. When was the last time that somebody asked you, Will you show me Jesus? When was the last time someone came to you and said, Why are you doing this? You've had a chance. Bible tells us that inside the hearts of each of us is a longing to know our Creator, our Maker. And there are many people who do not yet know the Savior by name, but they know there is a Savior deep down inside. And they are simply waiting for the good news to be shared with them. 
So Philip went to Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus said this. Verse 23. Jesus answered them, The hour of the Son of Man. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. For the last three years, he's been talking about walk while it's day, the night is coming. Or he had slipped away from being in the crowd because it was not yet his hour. Jesus has just turned the page. The news of who he is is spreading, not now just in the Jews, but in the Greeks as well. And Jesus is revealing that it's time. It's time for me to be glorified. I'm sure some who heard that said, yes, he's finally going to become king. Judas, if he was there, we know that at some point in here he slips away to go and meet with the chief priests and officials to betray Jesus. But inside, Judas was hoping that Jesus wouldn't become a sacrificial lamb, but instead be a king that would rise to power and give him a seat in power. Some of the crowd are excited to hear this, thinking, all right, we're going to see Jesus' true power. He's going to take the throne. We're going to be set free. But Jesus didn't mean that at all. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say this to you, verse 24. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loses his life, excuse me, whoever loves his life, loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. He said these words, speaking of himself, that he would be that seed that went down into the ground of the earth, dying on a cross, being buried in a tomb, and the seed of his love, the seed of his spirit, would spring forth. John chapter 17, the high prayer of Jesus He prays, I thank you, God, for those you have given me, but just not them, not them alone, but those who will believe because of their love. And then the words, whoever loves his life will lose it. If we truly love our life and the life that God has called us to live, we will learn what it means to die to ourselves and to become alive to him. Whoever hates his life in this world, this the, the, the way that this world wants us to live our life, putting ourselves first, uh, being all about number one, being all about be the best that you can be, being all about look out for yourself, nobody else will. Living according to this world's desires and its cravings. If we learn to hate that way of life, the life of this world, and learn to live according to the ways of the kingdom, Jesus goes on and says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And now my soul is troubled. Even though Jesus came knowing his purpose. Fully God and yet fully man. At any moment, he could have stopped at the cross from happening. 
that would have been the work of the devil. Even Peter was like, no, you're not going to the cross. I'll, I'll never let that happen. And Jesus through that said, get behind me, Satan. Out of love, Jesus went and bore our sin, our shame. Our shame, our pain. Knowing this was coming, he was troubled. We're going to see that the night before he's, the night he's arrested, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane under such anxiety and stress that he begins to sweat drops of blood. He's crushed in Christ. My soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. This is the purpose that I have come to this hour. See the beautiful connection here? It's time for the Son to be glorified. So, Father, glorify your name. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. One in purpose, one in mission. One as the Trinity. As the Father is glorified, the Son is glorified. And this glory comes in the crushing of our sacrificial lamb. His blood shed for voice came from heaven, the voice of God. The voice said, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. I've been glorifying my voice in you. As you have done these things, you have brought glory to me, and our work is not yet done. When you die on the cross, bearing the world's sin and shame, and when you, in victory, conquer sin and death, I will be glorified again. We will be glorified again the glorification of the Son, the glorification of the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. The three working as one. 1 Peter 1, 2 tells us, according to the foreknowledge and will of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Holy Spirit and for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. In our men's group that meets on Wednesday mornings, we're studying the book of Hebrews. We just went through a chapter that talked about how the, the priests would go in and they'd take the blood of the sacrificed animals and they'd sprinkle the blood on all the vessels, purifying them and cleansing them so that they were able to be used in honor and service to God. The same picture here. The act of the Old Testament points to the greater act of the New Testament. Jesus' blood and the sacrificial lamb, the lamb of all lambs being shed and his blood sprinkled on us to cleanse us and sanctify us and set us apart for greater work. It's not the vessel that is holy, it is the blood that is spilled on it that makes it purified. You and I, the Father has given up the Son. The Son has allowed his blood to be shed for the cleansing of us set apart. The crowd that had stood there, verse 29, heard this voice and said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. He 
knew who his father was. He knew, knew where his power had come from. But he wanted them to see another sign. For your sake this has happened. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Satan, the enemy. And when I, Jesus, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. When I am lifted up, he said this to show by what what kind of death he was going to die. When the Roman guards took him and nailed him, laying him on the ground, nailing him to the cross beam, they then attached him to the vertical beam. And as he was hoisted up in the air, a picture of our Savior being lifted up. And I believe that this symbolically carries forth true to today. As we, not as an act of crucifixion, but as an act of praise and worship and living our lives to glorify him. As we lift him up among others, Jesus will draw others to himself. Are we lifting up our Savior? Or are we like some of the believers we're about to be at Jerusalem? So the crowd answered and said, what are you talking about? We heard the law that the Christ remains forever. If you're truly the Christ, which means the Messiah, the king who's coming, you're not going to be lifted up. They knew what he was talking about because they said, we've heard he remains forever. Crucifixion was very common back then. How can you say you're the son of man and that the son of man must be lifted up? Who is the son of man? Now they're doubting, are you Jesus or, or I mean, are, are you Jesus the Christ or not? So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. But you have light. Believe in the light that you might become children of light, sons of light. Because of time, I don't have time to get into all of that. But he is our light, and he wants us to be reflections of his light. Matthew tells us we're to be the salt and light of the earth. So the people respond. When Jesus said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled again. Isaiah prophecies again, 700 plus years earlier. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory. Somehow, miraculously, Isaiah saw the picture of the Messiah to come, even though it would be 700 plus years in the future. He saw these things and he wrote about them. And so there were many in the crowd who just flat out weren't going to believe. And there are some around us that are not going to believe. But do not let that be for us a reason why we choose not to share. Let us never give up. 
How many of you had the opportunity to share the gospel with someone and they just flat out rejected it? Anybody? Do not give up. There was years where I shared the gospel with this one particular gentleman for seven years. Nah, I'm not sure. It just doesn't. He went to the Marines. He came back. Started going to the church where I was then working. Finally came to me and said, I, I give up. I have to give up. Never give up. Never stop sharing. We don't know. It's not us for it's not up to us who gets saved and who doesn't. It's simply up to us to share. Jesus does the saving. The Holy Spirit does the transforming. There were some in this crowd that were simply not going to believe. The interesting thing is the next group that I mentioned earlier. Verse 42, nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. They saw these signs and they said, there is no way this could just be another man. There is something different about him. There is something special. They even started to believe in him. That seed fell on ground and it started to take root. But the pressure of the world, look at what happened. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. So that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from 1033 tells us, whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. There's a belief that does not lead to salvation. It's not enough to just have your heart pricked and taste and see that God is for you. Have you believed in such a way that you've decided to die to yourself and allow him to become your Savior and Lord? It's a deep matter, and I pray that Pray about that and search your heart. So, as we close, in our next service, we're going to be able to celebrate with many who have believed and have taken that next step. Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us, if you believe in your heart, you are justified, and with your mouth you confess and you are saved. In our next service, we're going to see those individuals. Two of them were here last week, and they came forward at the end of service saying, I, 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 have, to, I have to believe this. I give my heart to Jesus. Two of them we get to baptize next week. Have you believed? Have you confessed? We confess regularly. We confess when we gather together and worship. Uh, Nathan, you guys can get in place. We confess when we uh, take communion regularly as a family. We confess when we share with our, our, our neighbors and co-workers. We confess when we encourage one another as, as brothers and sisters in Christ. There are no closet Christians in the kingdom of God. Have you believed in your heart? Are you confessing with your mouth? 
As a church, we're going to regularly cast out nets to draw crowds intentionally. If you were here a month ago, this entire auditorium was filled, close to 700 people, hearing the true message of Christmas and the gift of Jesus Christ. That day, 29 people put their faith and trust in Jesus. We will intentionally, like Jesus did, do what we can to draw crowds so that some may come to Christ. But more important than that is for us to see ourselves as individual witnesses sharing our faith with others and others may believe. Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me has seen the one who sent me. Uh, he even said to Philip in John 14, 9, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I have come into this world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain any longer in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I don't judge them, for I've come not to judge the world but to save the world. But there is one, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The words that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me has he himself given me a command. What to say and what to speak. And I know that his command is eternal life. What I say therefore, I say from the Father's glory. Jesus has come to give us life. To be our life no longer walk in darkness. And once we believe in him and confess him, it's then our job to continue to bear witness so that others may come to know him. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for being a loving God that never, never gives up on us. You continue to pursue your own despite their countless times of rejecting them. Even here, speaking to the crowds, telling them, believe in the light while you still have a chance. God, I thank you for giving us chance after chance after chance. And I pray that as we do commit to being believers, to confess you as Lord, that we would take seriously the role we have to be witness bearers for those who do not yet know you would come to know you as Savior and Lord. Thank you for being our Savior and Lord. Thank you for your love. Amen. Out of response to who Jesus is and what he's done for us, let us close by worshiping him and asking him to be the church he wants us to be. As we leave this place, we're not leaving church. We are the church church has been called to be sent out. The Father said, as the Father, Jesus said, as the Father sent me, I now send you. And so let us worship him and prepare to go to be his witnesses. If today you've given your heart to Jesus, I'd love to hear from you. If there's anything going on in your life that that is a struggle or that is even a, a reason to praise, I'd love to rejoice with you or to pray with you. Either way, I'll be up here at the front as our worship team closes up. Come on up, and I'd love to pray with you. Let's stand and respond by your obedience to the gospel.